If you have your Bibles, go ahead and grab those. Uh, you were greeted uh, when you came in with an announcement sheet. You will see that on the back, I don't have sermon notes. That is not because I'm not prepared. It's just because there's a lot to cover, and I realize it, you need more space to write than to, for me to give you fancy fill-in-the-blanks this week. All right, so the back is for you just a blank sheet of paper to write. Um, I know you can hear me okay, but is my mic on? For recording purposes, I just want to make sure my mic's on. Okay, that's fine. I know y'all can hear me because I'm projecting, but sometimes I can hear myself and not, and so I just want to make sure all, all is well. Hey, um, last week we talked about kingdom generosity and giving. This is kind of part one, part two, and I, I want to highlight last week because last week was intentionally part one to this week's part two. I don't want us to talk about today's topic and walk through today's questions without doing that in the context of last week, which was that God has called us to kingdom generosity as an act of joyful and willingness to give generously unto him in worship. That giving is not something that has been commanded of us, Paul would say, but it's something we ought to do and get to do, although we're not necessarily required to do. Which the difference between that is not, oh, we're not required to do it, and so therefore we conclude we never should give. But in fact, what Paul's getting at is our generosity is an act of worship towards others. And so tonight, in light of that, we're going to talk about the specific question of tithing. Now, if you're a guest, um, welcome. If you think that churches only ever talk about tithing, and you're like, here's just another church that only is ever going to talk about taking my money. I need you to know I've been here five years, and it's the first time I've ever talked on this. Right? So if this just happens to be your first week, this is not normal. We're not consumed with money, but it is a topic in Scripture, so we're going to talk about it. But I also want to say a few things before we get started. One of the, um, and these are, these are things to kind of meet some objections from the very beginning. There have been a lot of abuses within the church regarding finances. Not specifically our church, but the church overall. And maybe you've experienced some of those abuses. And maybe you've had pastors get in front of you and say certain things about finances that was ultimately because of benefit to them or something else, and therefore you're just, you're just potentially eerie of this conversation. And maybe you go, well, the pastor's going to say certain things, and I've heard so many different things said, and it's just hard to trust what is being said, and... So let me say a few things to get us started. We are talking about this topic of giving because leadership within this church recognize it's a topic we need to discuss. If you were a part of our annual meeting as members, you know that our giving's down and we had to make some financial cuts. And so part of that, we had conversations about, hey, we should probably talk about this. We've never talked about it in the last five years, other than moments where we talk about giving towards a mission emphasis, but we've never talked about it in general giving as a discipline of the believer and lifestyle. And so because of circumstances, we had conversations and we draw the conclusion, yes, this is probably something that we need to address and talk through. Yes, I admit and I recognize that because my income comes from each and every one of you who give, that this topic of giving benefits me personally. I, I, I don't know if pastors often say that. And so I want to say from the beginning that yes, how the church gives or does not give does affect me personally. And so I, I want to admit from the very beginning that this is a subjective topic in the sense of that us talking about it, there are specific reasons that we chose to talk about it. There's specific reasons why I'm choosing to talk about it. But I want to be clear on something. Everything that I'm about to say to you is purely a conviction of mine whether I benefit from it or not, right? Because just be honest, I benefit because my income comes from people giving. But my, what I'm about to argue is not because it benefits me or doesn't benefit me, because I really believe this is what Scripture says. Therefore, there are going to be a lot of passages of Scripture on the screen because I want to show you that when I ask certain questions and give certain answers, that it's rooted in the text, not just because I want you or don't want you to do something because it does or doesn't benefit me. So can we get that out there and just say, I, I want to be honest and vulnerable and go, I recognize this is a topic that does or does not directly affect me, but what I'm about to argue is going to be rooted, 
I personally believe deeply in Scripture. There are two questions I want to ask tonight in a minor application questions at the end, but two overall questions. The first is the question as it regards to tithing. Is tithing required in the New Testament covenant in Jesus? Every single word in that question is very intentional. Is tithing required in the New Testament covenant in Jesus? We got to define terms before we can even answer the question. What do I mean by tithing? Specifically, I'm using the word tithing in its most literal sense as a tenth of your income. Tithing literally is tenth. You can even hear the similarities from the Hebrew that is translated into the English as tithe to the English word tenth. Tithe is 10% of something. And so the question, are we to tithe, is are we to give 10% of our income? Is that required in the New Testament covenant of Jesus? Now, the second part of that question, New Testament covenant of Jesus. There's a lot of things from the Old Testament to the New Testament that aren't exactly the same. We're not going to spend a lot of time talking about some of those things, but we see in the New Testament, because of Jesus, some things from the Old Testament change. The Sermon on the Mount is a good example where Jesus talks about some things from the Old Testament and he changes them. For example, you have heard it said in the Old Testament that you shall not commit adultery, which in the Old Testament is understood as sexual intercourse with someone else other than your spouse. Well, Jesus says, but I say to you that if you look upon a woman lustfully, you have committed adultery in your heart. So what what does he do there? He changes the Old Testament command by raising the bar Right? So we see Jesus as an example of raising the bar there. One of the Old Testament commands, if you were to read it a lot, is this command to make sacrifices. New Testament specifically says you don't have to make sacrifices anymore. Why? Because Jesus is the ultimate sacrifice for us. He's the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. So Old Testament, Old, Te- Old Testament sacrifices are no longer exist in the New Testament. Why? Because Jesus was the perfect sacrifice, and there's no more need for sacrifice. Point is... Things change from Old Testament to New Testament. That's why it's called Old and New. So the question is, in the New Testament, is it required? Now, let's begin to unpack that question by first establishing the fact that in the Old Testament, it is required. There are commands in the Old Testament that require the giving of 10%. For example, Numbers chapter 18. For the tithe of the people of Israel... That's 10%, the giving of offering unto the Lord. The tithe of the people of Israel, which they present as a contribution to the Lord, I have given to the Levites for inheritance. Therefore, I have said of them that they shall have no inheritance among the people of Israel. There's a command laying out the importance of giving 10% because uh, the Levites are not getting anything so that everybody else is commanded to give 10% to provide for them. Another example, Deuteronomy 14. There's a bunch, but there's just a few. And you shall not neglect the Levite who is within your towns, for he has no portion or inheritance with you. At the end of every three years, you shall bring out all the tithe of your produce in the same year and lay it up within your towns. And the Levite, because he has no portion or inheritance with you, and the sojourner, and the fatherless, and the widow who are within your towns, shall come and eat and be filled, that the Lord your God may bless you in all the work of your hands that you do. Here's a Once again, Deuteronomy 24, a command for the people of Israel to tithe. Now, I want us to see even from these verses, what is beginning to build an argument for the purpose of tithe in the Old Testament, which was to provide for the Levites because they had no other ways to provide for themselves and to continue to tithe to care for those within your community who have needs. So asking the question, is tithing required in the New Testament? First, we need to establish the fact that tithing is required in the Old Testament. However, when we... switch to the New Testament, there is no explicit command in the New Testament that we are to tithe. We just read a couple of many examples from the Old Testament. When we come to the New Testament, there is no explicit command uh, to tithe. One might ask the question, why not? There's a few answers to that question, to why not is there no explicit command. One is probably because the early church would have continued to tithe through their religious Jewish duties and continued to give. And so the challenge often in the New Testament 
is to be generous and help those in need. And there's not a specific amount or percentage given to it, but to just be generous. But there's never not anything specifically talked about tithe. It might be because that was assumed. That's an argument from silence. It's not a very, you know, we don't know, but that might be one of the reasons why it's not talked about. But the bigger often conclusion of why it's not talked about is people will say, because it's not as important. What happens in the Old Testament to command to give 10% has turned into what Paul said in 2 Corinthians 8 last week, to give generously of all that God's given you, or even to raise the bar and to give much. We see church in Acts 4, 5, 6, and then on from there, but specifically early on in Acts, we see stories of where they sold and gave more than 10%. And so maybe it's because the bar is well beyond 10%. We're not even talking about that anymore. But the point is, it's not explicitly mentioned 10% in the New Testament, which leads us to two potential conclusions based off of the facts. To the question, is tithing required in the New Testament covenant of Jesus? There are two conclusions. One group will say Old Testament requires it. It's not explicitly mentioned in the New Testament. Therefore, it's not required in the New Testament. Some people will take the same facts and go, it's required in the Old Testament. It's not explicitly required or denied in the New Testament. Therefore, the Old Testament still stands. And yes, it's required still in the New Testament. You take the same facts and come to two potential conclusions. So you're waiting for me to give the answer. What do I think? Here's the honest answer. I think both arguments are pretty solid. I think there's a valid logical and theological argument to say that the legalism of the Old Testament is no longer stand because of the grace of Jesus, and that changes many things, including the legalistic requirement to give a certain amount of our money. I think that's valid. You can't necessarily put holes in that argument because, yeah, because of the grace of Jesus, so much has changed, right? So that's a valid argument. But there's also still a valid argument to say that there's an Old Testament puts a 10% standard at any time, or at least the majority of the times when we see Jesus adapt Old Testament commands is because he raises the bar. So not only is 10% still expected, actually more than 10%. So some go the opposite direction and say, yes, it's required and more. That's a valid argument as well. I don't have the perfect answer because I think both give good arguments, but I do have a second question that I think will clarify and what I want to spend the majority of our time on. The second question is, should we tithe? First question, are we required to? The second question, should we? Now, if we conclude the first question, are we required to, and we answer yes, we're required to, then the answer to the second question, should we, is an easy yes. If we conclude and are convicted that God's word says we should do it, then we do it, easy. But what if, We're of the camp that says, I don't think the New Testament requires it. Well, then now you've got to wrestle with the question, should we? And I personally think this is the more important question. Because for me personally, when it comes to the first question, is it required? I hear a good argument from a trusted scholar, and I go, yeah, he's right. And then I take another trusted scholar who argues against him, and I go, well, I think he's right. And sometimes I lean one direction over the other. But on the question, should we, I still conclude yes either way. So even if I were to conclude, and for sake of today's argument, this is where we'll land, are we required? Let's go with no for the sake of argument. Then the second question, okay, if we don't think we're required, but then should we tithe? And I would emphatically say yes to us. And this is what I want to challenge us with in God's word today, is whether we are required to under the law or not, you and I, I believe as your pastor and as your friend and as someone who studied this the best of my ability to say, I want to give you the advice that I believe we should still tithe. And let me give some reasons for that. We should still tithe 10% because of, a few answers, but here's the main one. Because of the principle of first fruits, right? I want to unpack the principle of first fruits for you. But here's here's basically what the principle of first fruits is, is. The principle of first fruits means that we give the first and the best of what God's given us back unto him in worship. This is what the principle of first fruits means, is that we give the first and the best of what God's given back unto us, or given to us back unto him. And because of this principle in scripture, I believe personally 
It's a good discipline for Christians today to continue to tithe, whether you feel you're required to or not. Remember, take us back to 2 Corinthians 8 last week. Paul goes, you're not commanded to do this, but you should as an act of worship. That's essentially the stance I'm taking today. I'm not standing here going, you're required to do it, and if you don't, you're a sinner. Because I'm not willing to say that you are sinning if you don't tithe, but I am willing to challenge based off the principle of first fruits that I still believe we should, and it's good discipline and practice to do so. Let me build my argument. Principle of first fruits begins as early as Genesis chapter four. Large passage of scripture, but Genesis chapter four is right after Genesis three, Adam and Eve sin, they're cast, cast out of God's presence. Genesis 4, one. Now Adam knew his wife and she conceived and bore Cain saying, I have got a man with the help of the Lord. And again, she bore his brother Abel. Now Abel was a keeper of the sheep and Cain was a worker of the ground. In the course of time, Cain brought to the Lord an offering of the fruit of the ground. And Abel also brought of the firstborn of his flock and their fat portions. And the Lord had regard for Abel and his offering, but for Cain and his offering, he had no regard. So Cain was very angry and his face fell. Real simple, two brothers bring an offering unto the Lord. God accepts one of the offerings and does not accept the other offering. What was the differences? There's only two differences between the offerings. One was fruit that was grown. Another was an animal. There's nothing in the text to say that God only accepts animal offerings and not fruit offerings. In fact, you read the rest of the Old Testament, there's equal amount of offerings between grain and fruit and vegetables versus animals. So the distinction between animals and something that's grown is not the distinction that matters here. The distinction that matters is when it comes to the animal, it says Abel gave of the firstborn and of the fat portions, the best. He gave the first and he gave the best. When it comes to Cain, it says nothing about that. So the only other distinction that we have that the text gives us to why God accepted one offering but not the other is because one of the offerings was the first and the best and the other one was not the first and the best. Not much more to say about that, but just want us to begin to see, even from the beginning, as an offering unto the Lord, God has blessed them with the ability to grow. God has blessed them with the ability to have animals. Both choose to worship God. One gives the first and the best. One gives not the first and the best. And God accepts one and not the other. Genesis 14, the principle of first fruits continued, but we're going to begin to connect it with this idea of 10% tithe. Melchizedek in Genesis 14 Lot was just captured and some other kings. Abram comes on the scene and saves the day. He's a hero. That's the situation. Abram just saved the day, Genesis 14. After the, his return from the defeat of the Chedorlaomers and the king, I don't know if that's really how you say that, but there you go. After he comes back from the defeat of those and the kings who are with him, the king of Sodom went out to meet him at the Valley of Shaveh, that is the king's valley, and Melchizedek, King of Salem brought out bread and wine. He was a priest of God Most High, an important distinction. Melchizedek was a priest of God Most High. Pause for a second. There's a lot of theology around Melchizedek. If you go, Melchizedek, if you go and read Hebrews, the writer of Hebrews alludes that this might even be Jesus in person or an angel. But whether even if he's just a human king and not Jesus, nonetheless, he's still a priest. And what does this priest do? He blessed him, meaning Melchizedek blessed Abram. And he said, blessed be Abram by God most high, possessor of heaven and earth. And he blessed be, and blessed be God most high, who has delivered your enemies into your hands. So notice what's happening. A priest is speaking a blessing from God to Abram. What is Abram's response? And he says, uh, he says this, and Abram gave a tenth of everything. He gave a tenth of everything back to Melchizedek. Here's a principle. With Cain and Abel, as a response in worship, he gave the first and the best. Abram, as a response to God blessing him, he willfully, not because he was commanded to, but he willfully chose to give a tenth of everything to God. Genesis chapter 28, we move the story along to Jacob and Esau. Jacob just stole from Esau. He was secretive. He was deceptive. He steals from Jacob to the point he has to flee, or he, Jacob steals from Esau. He has to flee from his brother. On his way, he sleeps. He has a dream, and this is his response. 
Genesis 28, 18. So early in the morning, Jacob took the stone that he had put under his head and set it up for a pillar and poured oil on top of it. He called the name of that place Bethel, but the name of the city was Luz at the first. Then Jacob made a vow saying, if God will be with me and will keep me in this way that I go and will give me bread to eat and clothing to wear so that I come against my father's house in peace, then the Lord shall be my God, and this stone which I have set up for a pillar shall be God's house. Paul's. He's having this moment where he encounters God, and he says, God, if you will be faithful to me, you will provide for my needs, I will worship you, but what else will he do? And he says, in all that you give me, I will give a full tenth to you. Remember, the command in the Old Testament to tithe came with Moses years after Jacob. Moses, I believe, lay out the requirement to tithe based off principles that he's already seen established through, through Israel, specifically Jacob. Jacob willfully chose to give 10%. Now, the passage doesn't tell us why 10% versus 5% or 15%. I'll give a practical answer towards the end to why I think it's 10%. But nonetheless, a willful decision as a response of worship and thanksgiving to God was to give 10%. For me, I think the most obvious, or I say the most obvious, but one of the most, the clearest pictures of the principle of first fruits comes with the battle of Jericho. We're skipping ahead many generations from Jacob all the way up to Joshua. Remember Jacob, you got Joseph. Joseph goes into Egypt. Eventually, Jacob and all the family goes into Egypt. They spend a few hundred year, years there. They grow. They're captives in slavery. Egypt treats them harshly. They cry out to God. God hears them. He sends Moses to set them free. And he says, you're going to come out of Egypt. I'm going to take you into the promised land. They go through the desert. They get close to the promised land. And they don't trust God. They rebel against God. Then they spend a whole generation wandering around in the wilderness and then Joshua takes over leadership after Moses passes. And God says, now, Joshua, do not be afraid. Go into the promised land. It's this blessing. Time to receive it. Great. So they cross the Jordan. They come to Jericho. It's a big city. It's a mighty city. There's powerful things, people. And God, here's what God says. You're not going to fight. But in fact, I'm going to fight on your behalf. You're just going to walk around it. And then at the last day, you're going to walk around it seven times. Then you're going to blow trumpets, and then I'm going to give you victory. But you are then to touch nothing. You don't take a piece of bread. You don't take water. You don't take any animals. You don't take any money. I read that, and I go, I don't, that doesn't make any sense to me. In the, they just came from the wilderness. They're coming into the promised land, and God's saying, I'm going to give you victory. I'm going to give you all these resources. But this first city you come to, you better not take anything from it. Why? principle of first fruits. Here's what God's saying. I'm giving you the promised land. I'm going to give you victory. You're not even fighting this battle. And I'm going to give you all these other cities. I'm going to give you all these other things in the promised land, but the first and the best you give back to me. Don't touch it. It's not yours. It's dedicated unto me. There's no other explanation to why God wouldn't give them. Because when you think about it at first, you're like, they've been in the wilderness. They're hungry. They just walked around this city seven times. I walk down the street. I'm ready to find something to eat. They've walked around the city seven times. God, can't we just go get some bread and eat to feed the soldiers who are faithful to walk around you? He said, no, no, no. Because I'm about to give you blessings for generations. But this first thing I'm going to give you is not for you. It's an offering that you're going to give back to me by not touching it. It's devoted. It's the principle of first fruits. That I'm about to give you a promised land. But the first bit I give you, you give back to me as thanksgiving and worship. It's the principle of first fruits. It's not a command. When you and I think about tithing, for me and my family, I don't tithe because if I don't, I feel like God's going to mad at me or that I'm sinning. I tithe because God has given me incredible blessings. And if I can just give a portion of thanksgiving back unto him, say, here's my first and my best. And when we talk about first and best and principles of first fruits, we're not just talking about finances. That is true in today's sermon, because that's our focus, but we're talking about our time, talents, treasures, and maybe you've heard it said that way. But God, you get, the, you get the first and best of the giftings you've given me. You get the first and best of my time. You get my life, and that includes my finances. But Jericho, why were they not allowed to touch anything? Because of this principle of first 
fruits. To take it pretty severe, look what Joshua says in Joshua 6.26. Over Jericho. Joshua laid an oath on them at that time saying, Cursed before the Lord be a man who rises up and rebuilds the city of Jericho. Why? Because Jericho for all eternity, he's saying, should be dedicated to the Lord. Nobody should ever build upon it because it's the Lord's. It's not us, it's the Lord's. And what is the cost? What's the curse? At the cost of your firstborn shall he lay its foundation. At the cost of your youngest son shall he set up his gates. If you read the rest of the story, there's a guy named Achan who takes some stuff from Jericho. It doesn't turn out good. He takes just a little bit. Because I mean, Achan's probably thinking what I'm thinking. Why not? It's just sitting there. Like, why can't I have some bread? Why can't I have some of the gold coins? Why can't I have that pot? It's just sitting there. Who cares? But he didn't understand this idea of worship. And so he takes some of it. And because he takes some of it, God removes the blessing. They go into the next battle where they actually fight and they lose. They just came from a battle where they didn't fight and they won. Then they go to a battle where they do fight and they lose. It doesn't make any sense. So what is Joshua doesn't understand this? He's saying, God, I don't understand. In Joshua 7.10, And the Lord said to Joshua, Get up! Why have you fallen on your face? Israel has sinned. They have transgressed my covenant that I commanded them. They have taken some of what? The devoted things. As if to say, God saying, All of Jericho was devoted to me, and they've taken it to themselves. They have stolen and lied and put among their own belongings. Therefore, the people of Israel cannot stand before their enemies. They turn their backs before their enemies because they have become, because they have become devoted for destruction. I will be with you no more unless you destroy the devoted things from among you. Saying these things were devoted unto me. Do not touch them because the principle of first fruit says it. Now, I want to read two Old Testament texts in relation to tithing and first fruits. These are longer texts, but I want us to see it all. Leviticus 27, 26 through 34. And if, if I've lost you, the question is, should we tithe? I'm arguing yes, not necessarily because we're required to, because there's a biblical principle of giving first fruits unto God that is then connected to tithing. Leviticus 27, 26. But a firstborn of animals, which as a firstborn belongs to the Lord, no man may dedicate. He's making in the command to tithe, also in a command to the firstborn of every offspring to be dedicated to the Lord. Whether that be ox, sheep, it is the Lord's. And if it is unclean animal, then they shall buy it back at, uh, they shall buy it back at valuation. All right, so firstborn, first. Unclean means it's not the best. And he's saying, don't do that. It needs to be the first. It needs to be the best. Principle of first fruit. Verse 28, but no devoted thing that a man devotes to the Lord of anything that he has, whether man or beast, or of his inherited field, shall be sold or redeemed. Every devoted thing is most holy to the Lord. Notice that he's not talking about tithing simply as a means to provide for the finances within the country. He's talking about the first and the tithe is a holy item that is devoted unto the Lord. It's an act of worship. No one devoted who is to be devoted for destruction from mankind shall be ransomed. He shall surely be put to death. Every tithe of the land, whether of the seed of the land or the fruits of the trees, is the Lord's. It is holy to the Lord. Let's pause there, stop there for a second. But I want us to see that in this command even to tithe, it is connected as an act of worship and offering. Here's my point. is we see before Moses makes it a requirement in the law, we see the act, the willful act of giving first fruits and tithe to the Lord. Moses then comes in and makes it a requirement. As if to say, people aren't tithing initially because they're required to. They're tithing as an act of worship. And then Moses then takes what he's seeing and then makes it a commandment. Deuteronomy chapter 26. We're going to read the whole chapter. Because I think this is really helpful for us. Once again, because I want to make sure you're seeing that what I'm saying is in Scripture, not just my opinion. Deuteronomy chapter 6. Notice God saying to the people, when you come into the land, for context, Deuteronomy 26 is Moses before the Joshua Jericho story. So they haven't come into the promised land yet. We went back in history a little. But he says, when you come into the promised land that the Lord your God is giving you for an inheritance and have taken possession of it and live within it. Notice how it's starting. I'm about to give you a blessing. 
I'm about to bless you. That's how it's starting. You shall take some of the first of all the fruit of the ground, which you harvest from your land that the Lord your God is giving you, and you shall put it in a basket, and you shall go to the place that the Lord your God will choose to make his name dwell there. Then you shall go to the priest who is in office at that time and say to him, we're pausing, I want to make sure we're getting what's happening. I'm about to give you this promised land. When you get there, you're going to grow some crops. Those first crops you grow, you take them. You put them in a basket, you go to the temple, and you talk to the priest. When you have a conversation with the priest, say these exact words. I declare today to the Lord your God that I have come into the land that the Lord swore to our fathers to give us. Then the priest shall take the basket from your hand and set it down before the altar of the Lord, because it's an act of worship to him. Take it and put it before the altar of the Lord. And you shall make a response before the Lord your God. You shall say this. A wandering Aramean was my father. And he went down into Egypt and sojourned there, few in number. There he became a nation, great, mighty, populous. And the Egyptian treated us harshly and humiliated us and to labor with us with hard labor. Then we cried to the Lord and the God of our fathers. Uh, the Lord heard our voice and saw our affliction, our toil and our oppression. And the Lord brought us out of Egypt with a mighty hand and an outstretched arm, with great deeds of terror, with signs and wonders. And he brought us into the place to give us that and gave us this land, a land flowing with milk and honey. And behold, now I bring the first of the fruit of the ground, which you, O Lord, have given to me. Here's the idea. You go into the promised land, you grow some crops, you take it to the altar, and you recount of all the blessings God has done to get you to this point. And by you giving the first back to God, you're making a statement, I recognize everything I have has been given to me as a blessing. This is just my way of saying thanks by giving some back. That's what's happening here. And you shall rejoice in all the good that your Lord, your God has given you to you and your house and the Levite and the sojourner who, who is among you. When you have finished paying all the tithe of your produce in the third year, which is the year of tithing, give it to the Levite, the sojourner, the fatherless, the widow, so that they may eat within your towns and be filled. Then you shall say before the Lord your God, I have removed the sacred portion out of my house. Notice the tithe is called the sacred portion, meaning before you ever give it. it needs, he's saying it's sacred before you ever give it because this is the portion that's supposed to be given over to God as an act of thanksgiving and worship, not duty and requirement necessarily, but as a way to say thank you, God, for all that you've done for me. And moreover, I have given it to the Levite, the sojourner, the fatherless, and the widow according to all your commandment that you have commanded me. And I have not transgressed any of your commandments, nor have I forgotten them. We're going to pause there because I think we get the point. Let me summarize. I'm going to take you into the promised land. You grow crops. You take some. You give them over as an act of worship. As you're giving them over as an act of worship, you recount all the blessings that God has done. Take a moment. Just think about all that God's done for you. If we think of nothing else except for the grace of Jesus, that's enough. But we reflect, and so when we think about all that God's done for us and given us as an act of worship, we give back a portion unto the Lord as an act of worship, but it doesn't just go to waste. What happens with it? It's given to the priests. It's given to the widow, the fatherless, the sojourner. Remember last week in 2 Corinthians 8, Paul says, I was astonished that they chose to give generously first unto God and then unto us. It's the same idea. That their giving was an act of worship first and foremost, but it was also given to meet the needs of the mission and the church and the people of God. So why should we tithe? Because of the principle of first fruits as an act of worship. And it's also a means to continue to do the ministry and mission of this church. It has practical implications, but first and foremost, it is an act of worship. Continuing on, we get to Malachi chapter 3. Malachi chapter 3 verse 6. For I, the Lord, do not change. Therefore, O children of Jacob, are not consumed. From the days of your fathers, you have turned aside from the statutes and have not kept them. Return to me, and I will return to you, says the Lord of hosts. But you say, how shall we return to you? And then God responds, will man rob God? Yet you are robbing me. And God says, but you say, 
how have we robbed you? And he responds, and your tithes and your contributions. Let me, let me stop. I, I think this passage in Malachi is one of the most abused passages by preachers to try to tell people, if you're not tithing, you're robbing from God, you're sinful. I want to be careful because there's more going on than just that simple statement. And that I don't want you to hear me say that today. What I do want you to hear me say is when we look at Malachi in the context, Malachi is at the end of the Old Testament. It's after the people of God, um, later on in their journey, were went into captivity. Then God took a remnant and brought them back. But they are no longer this rich and powerful people. They're a very poor, impoverished people. I mentioned that I'm flying, uh, I was in Ohio, so I did some flying. When I fly, I like to listen to audible books. And I like to listen to uh, good books, military sometimes books, different things. But a book I'm listening to right now is a story about basically all the power and all technology just stops working worldwide. Imagine how life would change if with no technology, no electricity, right? So imagine people are fighting for basic resources. Money's of no value anymore. They're trading you know, they're trading food, they're trading gasoline, they're trading different things. Horses are a big thing. Like, just imagine that. Imagine, and I'm listening to this book, and I'm imagining what would life be like? I, like, we would take, things we take for granted of would be so valuable. And, and I would find a tendency to start hoarding things, afraid that I wouldn't have them. Well, this is very similar to the state of Israel here in Malachi. They, they had lost everything. And now they're back, and they have limited resources and we understand that they take those resources and they build houses for themselves, but they leave, are leaving God's temple alone. They're taking everything that God's blessed them with and they're using it for themselves. And God says to them, you're robbing me. Not because God's lacking something, but he's saying, you're not recognizing that I've given you everything and you're hoarding it all for yourselves, not trusting me. And instead of giving it to me, you're keeping it to yourself. Therefore, you're robbing me. And he says to them, Continue reading. You're robbing in your tithes and contributions. You are cursed with a curse, for you are robbing me, the whole nation. Bring, and here's what he says to them, bring the full tithe in the storehouse that there may be food in my house and thereby put me to the test, says the Lord. That's really what I want to get at. As God's saying, you're not trusting me. You're hoarding it off yourselves. You're not trusting me. But I'm telling you, go ahead and bring the tithe Test me. And if you do, here's what I will do. He says that I will, uh, but the full tithe in the storehouse, there may be food in my house, and thereby put me to test, says the Lord of hosts. If I, and see, if I will not, what? Open the windows of heaven for you and pour down for you a blessing until there is no more need. They, out of fear of lack, hoarded for themselves, did not give over an offering, and God's saying, just trust me. One of the questions we've got to wrestle with is, hey, I, I want to tithe maybe, but I just don't feel like I can. Malachi is not a passage that says, if you don't tithe, you're a bad person and God's mad at you. Malachi is a passage that says, you can trust the Lord. Put him first. And he says, test me here. It's the only time in scripture where it says, test me. But test me and see that I won't show myself faithful to you. We started today's service but behold, I'm with you always to the end of the age. It's a statement that God gives to say that I will always be faithful to you no matter what. Uh, for the sake of time, let me just keep moving forward. And we're beginning to get close to the end. But the first question is, are we required to tithe? Some give a good argument for yes. Some give a good argument for no. I'll be honest. But it doesn't change for me the answer, should we tithe? And there I would emphatically say yes, not because I feel like we're required to, but because I feel like it is a faithful picture of what it means to give first fruits unto God as thanksgiving and worship to him. And so you church family, I do think we should tithe as an act of worship ultimately and as a means to continue to provide for the ministry and needs of the community. Let me give some more practical questions or answers to the question, should we tithe? First answer is yes, because of the principles of first fruits. Second, let me tell you why I and my family choose to tithe. We willingly choose to tithe. It's because for us, tithe is an amount 
that requires sacrifice, but yet still leaves us with plenty to provide for our needs. Well, I asked the question earlier that I said I would try to answer. I'm going to do that now of why 10% versus 5% or 15% or 20% or 30%. I think 10% is a faithful amount that says, God, you give me all of this. For me to give 10% back, which is a small portion in light of everything, still requires sacrifice. It does. Try doing it. It requires sacrifice. But it doesn't require so much sacrifice where you are left without based off what God's given us. I do believe that. And so for me, what tithing continues to do is a discipline of sacrifice to say, God, you are first in my finances. I give 10%, not because I necessarily have to, but it's a practical way for me to say that, God, I will continue to keep you first. Furthermore, in that lines, I think tithing protects our hearts from turning it into worship of money. It does. We have a lot of boundaries that protect us from other sins, right? What boundary is there for us to protect us from worship of money? I honestly think tithing is one of those answers. I think for me, there takes moments where for me to tithe requires me to sacrifice a, a pleasure of this world or something of this world. There are moments where I, we just got our giving statements there's moments where I go, man, if I, I could have chosen not to tie that money and I could have done this with it. But in that is a temptation in my heart to worship something of substance and creation over the creator. So I personally think tithing is a way to protect my heart from worshiping money. It's to say that, God, you get the first and the best of my money. You get the first and best of my time, my talents, but of my money also. And so should we tithe, even if we're not commanded to? I think you should because it will continue to guardrail your heart from worshiping money and trusting money over God. There's moments where when I tithe, that means I'm not putting as much in savings or I'm not doing this or I'm not doing that. It's to say, God, even if I feel like I need this, I'm gonna give it to you first, trusting that you're gonna provide for me. I'm, tr I'm taking Malachi and God has word from Malachi. I'm... I'm I'm giving it to you, even if moments I don't feel like I don't see how the budget's going to work, but you get the first. So it's a way for me to trust the Lord and to worship him above all. I see the principle given, but it's also a way of practice. Next question, and we're almost done. If you were to agree with me that we should tithe, here's the next question I always get. Should I tithe my gross income or net income? Let me define those words. Gross is the money before the government takes some. Net is the money after the government takes some. All right, that's real simple. So should I tithe before taxes are taken out or should I tithe off the amount after taxes are taken out? For me, I don't think there's really any one argument that's, that's good except for one. I said that weird. I was trying to say, I don't think, I was giving credit to the first question. I think there's good arguments on both sides. I don't think there's a good argument here except for one option. If we're gonna give our first and our best, that means I'm giving to God before government gets some. Just because they have a really good system to take it out of my paycheck before it ever hits my bank account doesn't mean that that's not money that God's blessed me with. If God gives me $100 and the government takes 20 of it, or 20%, yes, or 20, then I got a decision. Am I going to tithe off the 100 or am I going to tithe off the 80? And for me, once again, I'm saying gross because of the principle of first fruits. Government, you're not getting my first. God, you're getting my first. Now, this is just a matter of opinion to some degree based off a of principle and argument. You see how the argument builds, but it's a matter of conviction for you. But that's the simple answer I would say. Two more questions and we're done. Lastly, well, I just said two more questions. It's been a long day. Sabbatical's coming, all right? My mind will be clear. Two questions quickly. And this is the heart of the matter. Why is this question even asked? Two answers to that question. Why is the question of, are we required to tithe even asked? First is because just like with anything else, we want to know what God's word says. Good, we should. What does God's word say about how we should treat others? What does God's word say about how we should handle relationships? What does God's word say about finances? Good, ask that question. But a lot of times I often get the question because of the second reason. People are looking for a reason not to do it. And here, here's what I want to say to you. My response isn't, you should do it because it's, required of you. My response to you should be, 
If your heart's looking for excuse not to give unto the Lord, you got a worship issue, not a finance issue. It's being reflected in finances, but there's a worship issue going on. And at the heart of the matter, giving is an act of worship. Matthew chapter six, for where your treasure is there, your heart will be also. And if you're looking for one takeaway, the main point of today's sermon is simply this. If you say God is first in your life, but he is not first in your finances, he is not first in your life. It's that simple. That's not a legalistic statement. That's just a heart statement. Matthew six just said it. I said it in a different way. You cannot worship money and God. You can worship one thing. And if your heart worships anything else other than God, your heart worships that other thing. And so if God is not first in every aspect of our life, then we can't say he's first in every aspect of our life. And so I want to encourage you that is your heart, how does your heart respond to today's message? Because that's really where the worship lies. And then last question, pastor, I agree with you. I want to tithe, but I don't know that I can. I just look at my bank account. I look at the budget. I don't know that I can. Two quick answers to that. One is the Malachi reference. I just want to encourage you to trust the Lord. Just trust him. But I also want to say, and this is not a, everybody's looking for this one excuse to get you out. But because I don't firmly believe it's a legalistic requirement, there may be months where you just go, I don't have it. I've been in that situation one time in my life where I just said, there's no way to do it. Even after maybe putting someone on a credit card, there's still no way to do it. But I still found ways to go. I choose to divide it out over the coming months. I still did it. Not because I feel like I had to, because I wanted to. So there's still moments where I choose, well, I'll, I'll tithe more next month because of this. Like, there's no legalistic saying you have to do it every week, every day, or whatever. No, like, but it's a worship issue. So I will say that. But in that worship issue, just trust the Lord. I will encourage you that at New Hope, when you choose to give online, which I do, reoccurring, it says which day of the month. And it gives you every option. There's a reason why we put ours at the very first of the month. Before anything else, God, you're getting my first, and then I'll build a budget on whatever's left. Lastly, and practically to the answer to that question, I want to, but I just don't feel like I can afford it. March 18th, 1 to 5 p.m. at Queen's Church, an organization called Queen's Connexus is bringing in a certified financial coach under Dave Ramsey to work with free seminar, free uh, workshop, Child care provided. All you got to do is sign up to just begin helping you think through these things. Build a budget. How do I get out of debt? What do I do? I mentioned I'm on sabbatical February and March. This is the one thing I'm coming to while on sabbatical because it's that important. And then after that, we're, there's going to be opportunities for follow-up coaching. And I know it takes humility to say, hey, I need some help with some finances. But if someone didn't step into my life and help me, then I'd be in bad shape more than than I would have been if someone didn't step in and help me. So there's nothing wrong to admit we need some help to help us think through this. So here's a practical resource that we want to offer, March 18th, 1 to 5 p.m., free. You will have to sign up. Sign-ups have not opened yet, so in the coming weeks, you'll see links in order for you to sign up to be a part of that. But please mark your calendars. It's a free resource to help us begin to think through finances. Okay. Church family, I know that was a lot. And I know at times this is a sensitive topic, but I hope you could hear me say that I really believe that our giving of tithes or giving in general is an act of worship. That it's ultimately about worship. I think there's a lot of freedom and grace even as we learn and process this. So I don't want you to feel condemnation if you do or don't give a certain percentage. I'm a dollar off, oh my goodness. Relax. Examine your heart. My takeaway for you is that you would be so consumed by the grace of Jesus you're so excited to say thanksgiving and giving of all of your life over to Jesus to serve him and to care for him. So church family, might we respond generously to the grace of Jesus by giving him our first and our best. Let's pray. Jesus, I'm grateful for you. I'm grateful for all that you've given us. I'm grateful for your mercy. I'm grateful for providing for me. I'm grateful that I have a roof over my head. I'm grateful that I have food. I'm grateful that my family's healthy. And so first, Lord, I, I, I want to pray more than anything else, just as I pray blessings over our people, that would you bless them? Would you care for them? 
Would you continue to protect them and give them food and shelter? Would you bring healing? Would you bring healing to our sister Sophia? Would you continue to provide for that, all the needs uh, surrounding that tragedy? God, we're asking for your provision and you tell us to trust you, to test you. Would you worship me by trusting me with your finances and I will take care of you. And Lord, time and time again, you have always been faithful. And so Lord, I thank you for all that you've given us. Would you continue to care for us? And Lord Jesus, I pray that as we process the reality of tithing, not tithing, some of those things that all of us, our hearts would just worship you. Would worship you with song, worship you with our emotions, our minds, our actions, our bank accounts, worship you with every part of us. It's a worship issue. And so would you bring us to a place of generosity because we are so consumed by your grace and your mercy. And I pray that as we give of our tithes and our offerings unto you, that you would provide for the needs of this community. You would continue to push your mission forward because it, there are practical purposes to the tithes financially. And that is so that we can continue to faithfully preach the gospel and meet the needs of those who have moments where they, they are lacking. And we're able to step in with resources in the church to help provide rent and help provide food and help provide those things because of the faithfulness of others' tithes and offerings. So thank you for that as well. We hope today's message was encouraging for you. We'd also love to hear how God used this message to speak to you. You can email us at info at newhopeny.org. You can also find us on Facebook and Instagram. Our handle for those outlets is New Hope NYC. Our website is www.newhopeny.org. If you are in the New York City area, we have 4 p.m. worship gatherings on Sundays at 164-2 Gothels Avenue in Jamaica, Queens. We're praying for you, and we hope to see you soon.